Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, this evening, and we thank you for each one that is here. Lord, we ask now that you would direct us, give us grace to study your word, encourage us and strengthen us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated to your outlines and your Bibles, and let's turn to James chapter 2, if we might. James chapter 2, this is our fourth lesson in the book of James, and we are moving uh, fairly quickly through the book, uh, but what we're looking for primarily is how the Christian life is supposed to work. And uh, the word that, uh, we ha- that I have used over and over again is attitude. Uh, we need to have an understanding, a biblical attitude when we fall into difficult situations. And uh, by the way, uh, I, I did not mention it, but we have a difficult situation uh, as a church. I want you to pray about this as well. DOT has issued a summons and they're asking or requesting or demanding, I haven't figured out yet, that we replace somewhere between half and two-thirds of our sidewalk uh, immediately. So just uh, pray as we try to sort through this as well. And, uh, you know, the, Hannah said, Dad, I didn't tell you because I knew that would be upsetting. And I thought, yeah, that's right. And then I said, well, wait a minute, we're going through the book of James here. Uh, we're not supposed to get angry and upset. We're supposed to count it all joy. So I'm asking God to work on my attitude. Uh, would you pray with me about that as well? Because we, we know the Lord is going to do something. We've been patching our sidewalk. And one of the things that uh, they have uh, cited us for was patching the sidewalk. And I'm trying to figure that out. I asked my friend and he said, it never used to be illegal. Uh, it did not used to be a code violation. And uh, if you walk around our neighborhood, just about everybody's sidewalk's got a patch or two around here. And so uh, I am uh, going, as soon as we get back from Maine next week, going over to DOT and saying, hey, what is the deal here? And uh, how come you waited uh, 20 years to tell us about that the cracks in our sidewalks are not acceptable anymore. And, and so just, just pray about that. But how does your faith work? When, when you fall into difficult situations, what is your attitude? Are you going to get down? Are you going to get despondent? Or are you going to say, Lord, I know you're going to do something. We're going to do something. And we're going to get through this thing. And we're going to trust the Lord. And, and and there's an attitude there. Our, the, the problem is wisdom. If we had wisdom, we wouldn't have a, a discouraging or frustrated attitude when things happen because our trust in the Lord would be where it is supposed to be. Then we come down in our attitude towards salvation and our attitude toward blessings and our station in life, whether we're rich or we're poor, whether we're esteemed or whether we're not esteemed. And then we come here in 
chapter 2, I want us to try to handle this in, in the big picture, the entire chapter, because so often we start in verse 1, My brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect uh, of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here uh, in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Now, people often look at verse 10 as a transition verse that James is changing the subject. But actually, what he's doing is explaining the purpose of the first 10 verses here. How does your faith work with people? I mean something that might do well for us to pay just a little attention to is when we send people to Washington, D.C. as senators and representatives and uh, if you're keeping track of the circus that has been going on with the uh, uh, Supreme Court nomination and and uh, if uh, if you believe any of the testifiers as credible, please see me after church. We'll try to help you understand that uh, this is a complete and total fabrication. You see, they did the FBI investigation, talked to over 40 people. No corroboration of any events Whatsoever was found, even the semi-reformed drug addict, alcoholic friend of Judge Kavanaugh would not cave and give them the information, fabricate more things and help them. They found nothing. You see, when the Bible talks about respective persons, that's the kind of thing it's talking about. Do we treat people differently because of what they can do for us or do against us? You know, there are churches. Uh, I guess my favorite story was years ago, was trying to help Brother Dana Dice find a meeting place, and there was a, uh, a church there on the avenue, and 
we just walked in and began to look around and see if we could talk to someone about renting space for uh, Brother Dice's church. And there on the bulletin board, it had a list of the members of the church and what they had put in the offering on the previous week. It, it was amazing. And here was so-and-so, $1,000, so-and-so, $2,000, and then so-and-so, $20. And I said, man, I feel sorry for that poor guy. His name is, you know, but why was that going on? Because there are some churches that try to shame people into doing things, and, and that's not what it's all about. In fact, we do have just one simple example of understanding the Bible in its historical and cultural context. Here it talks about a man showing up in gay clothing. Now, if someone uh, used that term today, that might turn our thoughts in directions that would be unholy and uh, against the Bible. And, and uh, But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about lively, happy uh, apparel, the old Christmas song, Don We Now Our Gay Apparel, fa la 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 la. Uh, it's just talking about being happy. Nice clothes, expensive, showy threads, uh, we might say, depending on how dated you want to be. And here, what we have going on is James says, Listen, brethren. If your faith works, it's going to behave properly around people. Now, there is so much that is misconstrued out of this passage here that God blesses the poor and resists the rich. And no, wait a minute, if we... If we look carefully here, and we need to understand that the poor, look at verse 5, rich in faith. Oh, wait a minute. Um, Heirs of the kingdom to them that love him. Now, people try to take this passage and they'll say, well, if some homeless guy walks in and you don't love him and embrace him. and No, that's not what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about someone who has ruined their lives by making wicked and evil choices. This is talking about a person who loves the Lord, who is an heir of the kingdom, who is rich in faith, but they are not necessarily endued with all of the worldly possessions that other people may talk about. Actually, uh, this verse is talking about most of us in the auditorium when it uses the word poor here. Uh, 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 No one has, I mean, if if we were just to hire someone to fix the sidewalk, uh, that's going to cost us, between four and six thousand dollars, if we only do what they said, uh, to replace the entire sidewalk goes up to uh, between ten and twelve. And there's nobody in our churches. Oh, pastor, let me let me take care of that for you. 
Uh, and we're not looking for that, by the way. You know how God has met every need our church has ever had? By people giving according as God has blessed them. You know what? That's, that's how it works. You see, it's talking about giving respect to a person spiritually, and the Jewish people had a problem with this. Remember what happened when the rich young ruler was turned away by the Lord Jesus Christ? Who then... Who, if God isn't saving the rich, who, who is He saving? Oh, wait a minute. Jesus is putting this in perspective. If you're trusting in your riches, you have no place in service to God. That's what this chapter is talking about. There are churches, uh, and I've heard stories, even independent Baptist churches, that have changed their doctrine, have changed their name, have allowed and condoned sinful behavior in families and people in the church because, oh, we could never get along without Brother So-and-So's offerings. This is what James is talking about. You see, we need to understand something. It is Jesus who builds his church. And he will bring people in. And our name is Open Door Bible Baptist Church for a reason. Uh, The door is open. But if you want to be a member of the church, then what we're going to ask you to do is to exercise faith according to the Word of God. And you know, I could give you names, but I'm not going to, of people who came and attended our church and felt like that they should be given some kind of position or a place of authority and, uh, and, and leadership in our church and they never were given one and they left. I, I figure if they can't show up for visitation on their own without me prodding them, then maybe they don't need a place of leadership. And if, if we can't just be faithful where we are, what did Jesus say in Luke 16? If you're not faithful in the little things, you're not going to be faithful in the big things. You want a place of service, just show up. That's where it starts. And, and it's no special position dependent upon your financial ability And, by the way, the example in the Scriptures is simply this. Did Jesus ever teach us that we ought to treat people or expect things, treat people in such a way that we can get things from them? No. That's not in the Bible. But I'll tell you this, it's in almost every kind of church that is out there now, isn't it? How many of you used to be in a church where that kind of stuff went on all the time? Uh, Depending on how much money you put in the offering plate was 
how big a whatever, funeral, wedding, whatever you got. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't charge for those things. What we're trying to do is serve God together. Amen? And James is pointing this thing out. If you have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to be trying to pretend that people who blaspheme the worthy name of Jesus, who oppress people to uh, enrich themselves, have any place in the church of Jesus Christ. And this has often been one of the things that I've tried to present so we understand history as it was. You see, the Church of England was supposed to be attended by everyone in England. And the colonies, as part of England, you were supposed to attend the Anglican Church, the English Church. After the Revolution, uh, the Church of England became a very unpopular title, uh, and so it became known as the Anglican or Episcopal Church uh, in the United States. But John and Charles Wesley were in Moravia, part of Germany, and they heard of the gospel and they got saved. And they said, God has called us to bring salvation to Jesus' church. Wait a minute. If we read our Bibles, you can't be part of Jesus' church until you settle the issue of salvation first. Amen? So the fact that they deemed themselves and called themselves as evangelists to bring salvation to the church, the Church of England, well, that tells us whose church it was. It wasn't Jesus' church at all. Never has been, never will be. And yet, people were afforded position and place. This was not a new thing. It was something that has gone on in politics, in society, in people, whenever people get together. But you know what Jesus does? Faith in Jesus Christ changes our attitudes toward people. If each one of us were truly honest, we would have to say, I am not the most lovable person in the world. Amen? I see some people nodding like this. Some people are smiling. Okay, Pastor, you got me on that one. Listen, that's, that's where we all are. But... When faith in Jesus Christ comes in, hey, I can love my neighbor as myself. I can love other people not expecting things from them. Because Jesus loves me. That is my base of security. And I can see clearly when someone comes in and says, you know, I can do an awful lot for this church. And my first response usually is something like this. Uh, you might want to take it somewhere else. Amen. Because 
This is Jesus' church. He's the one that's supposed to do things. We, we don't need talent. We, we don't need expertise. What we need is people who will love the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? that? That is what this passage is talking about here. And it says that if we don't do that, if we have respective persons... We commit sin, and verse 9, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Hey, we, we need to know, understand something. God is no respecter of persons. Years ago, I had a, a fellow come up, and he says, I'm never coming back to this church. And I said, well, what have I done? What, what's going on here? He says, you put too much emphasis on the Bible. He said, well, if there's ever a reason to leave our church and not come back, that's it. Because that's the only place we're ever going to put any emphasis. We, we, he says, but you don't believe that uh, Martin Luther was a great man? I said, no, I don't. The only man he had a part in putting to death was an Anabaptist preacher. Uh, no, thank you. you. You say, but we wouldn't have freedom without the Reformers. Hey, we Baptists practiced our religion without freedom. And we'll do so again if they take it away. Because... We're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ first. And we'll just keep serving Him. Even if our governor says there's no place for us in this state. Uh, actually, there is. And He only shows who has the real prejudice and the real hatred for other people and other thoughts. We believe in the right to be wrong. Amen? But we also believe that we have a responsibility if the Bible says this. As a Bible preacher, I'm going to tell you, according to the Bible, you are wrong. It's not that I'm angry at you or anything like that. I have to look into this book and look at myself and say, Hey, pastor, you are wrong on some occasions. You are wrong about this. We all are trying to serve the Lord. And so we're not looking to respect people. What we're looking for is people who will love the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. This is the attitude toward the law of God. You know, when we get caught, what do we want to do? Well, I, I've done some good things too. I mean, that's what Al Capone tried. Didn't work. Because he had done too many rotten things, right? No. When you offend, when you break the law, you become a lawbreaker. That's all there is to it. Paul put it this way when he talked to the Romans. For 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Somebody said, well, what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian if, if everybody sins? Well, here's the difference. I take my sin to Jesus. Amen? I took my sin to Jesus on August 28th, 1977, and He saved me. And on a regular basis, I go to the Lord. 1 John 1, 9, and confess my sins to Him, and He forgives, and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Don't, don't ever get too used to that and presume upon God. What we need to do is thank the Lord that He is faithful and He is just and He knew every sin that we would ever sin before He saved us. Verse 11, James gives us this example. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill... Thou art become a transgressor of the law, so speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Now, isn't it amazing in these Kavanaugh trials that the very same people who, when Bill Clinton was president, were defending him against not only accusations of a non-credible type, but people who gave legal dispositions as to the moral wickedness of this man and abuse and harm that he did to other people are the very same people that have had to manufacture lies about Judge Kavanaugh and have done the same thing about our president. Not that he is a perfectly moral man, but the simple truth is the things that they accuse him of we're all put in this thing that was paid for by Hillary Clinton's campaign. It's terrifying. And you say, well, you just defend him no matter what. No, you, you need to look at the facts, my friend. It's, it's terrifying what is going on in our nation right now. And if you've ever been an American, you need to pray. But what I'm trying to illustrate is we have Hillary Clinton running around saying that Judge Kavanaugh ought to be hung out to dry when she was the one who was destroying witnesses who were trying to testify against her husband. You see, that's what this passage is talking about here when it says... So speak ye, and so do ye, so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. If you have someone running around, screaming, hang him, hang him high, set him out to dry, put him in jail, and throw away the key. 
You know, those are the things that they've been yelling about Mr. Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh, this past week, weeks, that he's been in this nomination circus, as it may be. But if we got out school books, how many of you would like to see Chucky Schumer's, Charles Schumer's high school yearbook? Or some of these other people in Congress? You know, we as believers in Jesus Christ are not running around saying, lock everybody up. What we're doing is saying, wait a minute. We all are going to stand before God in judgment. How many of you are glad that Jesus forgives sins? Could we say amen to that? We say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Because if Jesus wasn't in the sin-forgiven business, none of us would have a right to stand before God. It is Jesus that forgives us our sins. What James is talking about is what the Lord Jesus illustrated in the, in the story of the man that owed 10,000 talents and the, versus the servant, uh, the fellow servant that owed 100 pence. Now, 100 pence, 100 pennies is 100 days wages. That's half a year's salary, fairly close, if you take off days that you don't work and everything. Uh, That is no small sum of money. But 10,000 talents, that's over 1,160,000 days wages. Now, stop and think about that figure. I mean... That's insane. You see, if Jesus forgives you, we forgive others. Amen? This is the attitude. This is what he's talking about here. And we are not running around just trying to get other people condemned. What we are doing when we preach about righteousness and holiness And living right for God is to challenge you to be prepared when you have to stand before God. When I have to stand before God. You know what? God does not hold us accountable for the sins that we do not commit. That we do not actually participate in. But I challenge you, every one of us has far more than we would like to think about on our own account. And, and we need to be careful. And so we don't go around judging people, respecting people. He's following this same thing here. Verse 13 says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. You see, mercy is what we need. Mercy is what we get when we admit our defeat and our failure toward God. When we surrender to Him, He gives us mercy to be saved. But mercy 
comes with instructions. I have changed my affiliation. That's the whole term that unconditional surrender has to deal with. I'm no longer legally obligated to the person that I used to serve. I am now legally obligated to follow the person who defeated me. The greatest historical example of this in modern history is the nation of Japan at the end of World War II. Uh, I repeat that often. I, I don't know of a better example. I really have not found one. The people of Japan were defeated. The emperor came in and expected to be executed by General MacArthur. And when General MacArthur refused to execute the emperor, there were some people in America that were mad. There were some members of Congress that were writing him harsh letters of condemnation. Now, there were several of the generals, and when they found people who were in charge of these prison camps and the generals who were in charge of the Bataan Death March and some of those things, they, the ones that did not commit suicide were executed. But why didn't General MacArthur execute the emperor? Because he wasn't the guy making those decisions. Other people were. You know what that is? Mercy. He didn't expect any. He literally went in expecting to be shot or killed even in the office of General MacArthur. MacArthur wrote in his memoirs, he said, I just couldn't even fathom what had to be going through the emperor's mind as he walked into my office. Our greatest ally in the East today is Japan. I was an enemy of Jesus Christ once. Now he is my Savior. That's mercy. And as we have a sense of right and wrong, and it really seems sometimes that the evil people just get away with everything and never get... Just wait a minute. God is going to judge. Let's, let's take care of our own docket with God. And let God take care of those that refuse to obey Him. Amen? You see, our faith ought to work. Our faith ought to make us love anyone who wants to love God. And so we come here to the last part of this chapter, and we're we're going to try to get through this tonight, not word for word, but get the, the, the major points here. Verse 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and hath not works, can faith save him? Now skip down to verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Verse 20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, another reason why I'm no fan of Martin Luther, the reformer, is he actually wrote in his notes that 
that he did not want to put this section of James in the Bible he translated into the German language because it talked about works and faith. And he was, of course, raised in the Catholic faith. He was a Catholic priest and he began reading his Bible and understood that the works-based salvation in the Catholic Church was not in the Bible. And so he became a reformer. He, he tried to clean up the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church said, no, thank you. Uh, if we catch you, we're going to burn you at the stake as a heretic. And fortunately for him, he had the protector uh, of Hanover as his personal bodyguard and who actually kidnapped him, made him grow a beard and uh, his hair all long and so nobody would know and hid him in the castle at Wittenberg for several years to protect him from the assassins from the Catholic Church. I mean, this is what the history was. And he was so afraid that people would read this passage and go back to the Catholic Church. Now, how many of you that have read this passage have ever had the desire to do that? Because that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the very opposite. Living faith produces living works. That's what James is trying to say here. This is what Paul meant in Philippians chapter 2 when he said, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not make a deal with God. It's if you have faith in God, your faith ought to work. It ought to work when we meet people. When people come in the door. Hey, our doors are open to anyone. And I will tell you, as your pastor, we have had every walk of life come through those doors. People who are involved in Every sin known to mankind have walked through those doors and sat in our services. People of almost every faith in the world have at one time or another come through our doors and sat in our services. Uh, I remember years ago in the old building we had two Punjabi men with the big turbans and everything and they came in to our little basement meeting room of which few people here would remember and sat right on the front row. And every time I said something, the one turned to the other one and said, whatever in their language. And then the other one would turn and talk to him. And uh, once the sermon was over, they got up and they left and we never saw them again. We had a Buddhist monk come here for about six months. Some of you remember karma. He never did get saved. Which is a sad story. But we've had many people who have come from different religions, different walks, different stations, and they found faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And their faith started doing things. Things that they used to do. Miss Ann used to love to tell her story where when she was in the Methodist church, the preacher said, well, why don't you just preach a sermon? said, well, Pastor, I preach. I said, well, Miss Ann, if you're going to be in our church, you've got to give all that up. Oh, I know. I've given it all up. But she, she just loved to tell that story. 
But Miss Ann never preached a sermon at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And she never led a business meeting at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. You know why? Because she said, I'm going to be a part of this church and I'm going to do things the way they're supposed to be done. At least a church she did, amen? And we can say that about most of us, can't we? But shouldn't we be the same way at home? We are at church. That's, that's what James is talking about here. And he gives the example. Hey, do well wishes fill an empty stomach? Do good feelings make someone who is cold because they don't have proper clothing warm? No. It doesn't work that way. I mean, there have been many times someone has come and said, I'm... I'm hungry. Uh, does the church give away food? Does I said, now listen. I said, uh, I live upstairs. I'll go see what's in the refrigerator and come back. And I said, well, we always have peanut butter and jelly. I, I said, there's some lunch meat. Can I make you a sandwich? Oh, I'm not hungry. Oh. Well, you do know that if I make you a sandwich, I'm going to talk to you about the gospel. Oh, I'm not that hungry. Oh, you're just mean-spirited. You, th- you think that I'm a mess. Uh, and I, I remember telling one guy, he said, Sir, I don't think you're a mess. I can smell the alcohol on your breath. Oh, he got mad at me. And, and said things on the church steps that nobody ought to say anywhere. And I said, Here I am. You've come to me asking me to be good to you, and you're cussing me. Because you're under the influence of alcohol and have spent your food money on alcohol. Well, then he really got mad. You know something? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, it ought to change the way you live, shouldn't it? You see... That's what James is trying to tell, and he gives the example of Abraham. Just believing is not enough. Look at verse 20, uh, 19. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. I mean, when Mark chapter 5, when the demon-possessed man came... He came running and fell at Jesus' feet and begged Him, Don't send us out into the deep. You know what? The devils know who Jesus is. But so many people, Jesus is just another cuss word. Abraham obeyed God. And took Isaac up to Mount Moriah. And I believe that Isaac cooperated with Abraham. It's hard to believe that a man who was 113 years old or 116 took a 16-year-old boy and tied him up without his help. Uh, Are you with me on that one? Uh, I, I believe that Isaac willingly surrendered to what Abraham explained to him that God had said. 
And before Isaac could be harmed in any way, God stopped him. Why? Because God wanted Abraham to know what God was going to do to save us from our sins. That's why he was called the friend of God. That sobriquet is in this passage. Read, read this. I've had people question, say, well, Rahab the harlot, she lied. God blessed her lie. No, he did not bless her lie. He blessed her hiding the men. Well, her lie helped hide the men. Uh, excuse me, what was Rahab? She was a woman of no character. Could we just leave it right there? She got character. In fact, she was welcomed into the lineage of the Messiah himself. She was Boaz's mother. A mighty man of wealth and a mighty man of faith. That's where Rahab went after she lied about the lying of the spies was just another sin that had to get put on her account. God never asked us to lie. We cannot sin and promote the righteousness of God. But Rahab had faith. She tied that red cord in her window and she kept her family in the house even after the walls fell down. And remember where Rahab's house was? It was on the wall. Maybe there was a whole section of Rahab's house missing. But Rahab kept them in the house and her family was added to Israel because Rahab had a faith that worked. Abraham had a faith that worked. Can you ask yourself a question? Does my faith work? Can I get my attitude straightened about when I get a ticket saying we're going to have to replace half our sidewalk? Hope so. Working on it. Why? Because I want to obey the Bible. And it's a whole lot easier saying, okay, God, you're going to have to take care of this. You're going to have to help us. Now, there's things that we're going to have to do. Yeah. But guess what? We're going to trust the Lord just like we did with everything else. Amen? And here's what we need to understand. There's got to be a proper attitude toward people. That attitude comes from my faith in God. God saved me. He'll save you. Amen? I need to have a proper attitude toward God's law. It's righteous. I'm unrighteous. But if I have faith in Jesus Christ, it ought to make me do things. I don't do things to get faith. I do things because I have faith. My faith works. Amen? And if you want to understand your entire Bible, it can be summed up in this sentence. Living faith produces living works in obedience to the revealed will of God.
That's why Noah built an ark. That's why Abel offered a lamb. That's why uh, David sung songs and, and provided to build the temple and was a good king to Israel. That's why Moses gave the law and built the tabernacle. That's why you and I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible is one book. But God did not give us everything in the Bible at one time. But now we have everything that God is going to give us. That's why we reject new revelation. Some guy named Muhammad, about 600 A.D., said, I have the last testament of Jesus Christ. And Joseph Smith came along in the 1830s and said, No, I have the last testament of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Well, I want to give a correction here. The Bible says all things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto us through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And the only place you can find that about Jesus is in this book. So, I don't need nothing new. I don't want nothing new. I want what's in this book. And I want my faith to work. And God gives us opportunities for our faith to work. You know why? Because He wants to give us confidence that when we walk through death's door, we'll walk into the arms of Jesus. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would help us understand that faith is, our faith is supposed to work. Lord, it's supposed to work when we meet people. It's supposed to work when we interact with others. It's supposed to work when we examine ourselves under the laws of God. It's supposed to work when we obey God's laws. Lord, we ask that you would give us grace and encouragement. And Lord, that we would take tonight even and make a a new and renewed effort to let our faith work. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, as the piano plays, if you need to slip out and spend some time, the altar is open.